0: Our reading this morning is from Romans chapter 6, the first five verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for celebration, the celebration of today. We thank you for the gift of your son and what his life and death and resurrection and ascension mean to us, what his intercession even now means to us. We thank you for your spirit that's been poured out on this church, and we pray for that spirit to be at work now in our hearts and in our minds, that you would take opportunity, this opportunity, when we are at our most earnest, when we long most to see your glory to show us the glory of your great plan and work in our world. Father, fill us with hope, fill us with imagination and faith, to see with eyes of faith all that it is that you are doing and have done and will do. Lord, we glory in the resurrection this morning, and we glory in you. There is no one like you, Father. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, gone is the snow. We had snow last week. The sun has come. The warmth is here. Happy Easter, Painted Door. So glad to be with you this morning. Much energy, much to shout about and be excited about as we celebrate the resurrection this morning. And also, happy nine-year anniversary to our church. Some of you... Some of you may not know that we actually launched or were born as a local congregation on Easter nine years ago, Uh, and so what a fitting day that was for a church to be born. There's really no more fitting day for a church to be born than on Easter Sunday, the day of new beginning, the day of new life. And so our little congregation began its life nine years ago on this day, Easter, of course, is the day of days. It's the day that we celebrate that all of the brokenness and sorrow in this world is not the end of the story. That as we live through these things, we can know that for certain, that they are not the end of the story. Our God has not left us in Lent to languish forever. Thanks be to God. Some of you are saying, I was hoping that was the case, and I'm seeing it come true this morning. The cross that we bear in this life has a purpose, and that purpose is new life. That purpose is to usher in a new reality. It's to usher in a whole new way of being. That is what the resurrection is. It's sorrow and loss and chaos and cross Turned into the rejoicing of new life. The fulfillment and vindication of the redemption and grace of God. The plan that he set in motion from the beginning to rescue us from our fallen and broken ways. Now coming to realization in the inauguration of a new kingdom in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to know this as a Christian. That the kingdom of God is an unstoppable force. In the earth. It is an unstoppable force in the earth. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates that to us all. It demonstrates that for all time, that not even death. Can thwart the coming of the new reality, the coming of the resurrection reality, the coming of the kingdom of God, God's kingdom and the reign of God, the reign of God with all of its peace and joy and rest and reconciliation will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. His kingdom will fill our broken land. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be thwarted. And it is even now lapping up on our shores. This is the season of Easter tide. We are watching the tide of God's resurrection reality lap up on the shores of our broken world. It's coming. It's coming like a tide. If you've ever been to the ocean and watched the tide roll in, there is no stopping it, there is only bearing witness. To it. And we are here as God's witnesses to the coming of His kingdom, seeing, watching, noticing that this reign of Christ, this peace besetting, joy filled reign of Christ, is coming for us all. We're seeing it now even come among us. For the past six weeks, we've been, of course, looking at those things that. Resist the reign of Christ. We've been looking at those broken, ruinous, hard places of our world that are not yet conformed to the new resurrection reality, that have not yet tasted the redefinition of all things, the making of every sad thing come untrue. But our focus on those sorrows, it must be said, is not a capitulation to them. We look at those sorrows unflinchingly. We look at them in the face only because we know by faith that resurrection is coming, that Christ reigns even in the brokenness and the sorrow, and that he will make every sad thing come untrue. Christ reigns and no sorrow will be left left beyond the reach of his touch. There is no broken thing beyond the scope and power of resurrection. This is God's great plan in the world to take everything that our enemy made for evil and turn it to good. So today begins a new season for us. Lent was a season of looking sorrow dead in the face, unflinchingly. Easter tide which stretches from today all the way to June 9th, Pentecost Sunday. Some of you will be happy to know that is eight weeks, eight Sundays of Easter. We will be serving pie all eight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I would love for us to retain the same energy and joy and enthusiasm throughout the entirety of the season of Easter, tied in the same way that we maintained that unflinching look at sorrow and the brokenness of the world throughout Lent. This is a time for joy and rejoicing, rejoicing. This is a time to remember what it is to sing, to remember what it is to have your heart filled with the wonder and love of God such that you lose control of yourself and you are overwhelmed by His goodness. Let's be overwhelmed by His goodness together throughout this Easter season this is the purpose of easter tide to see the scope of god's reign and to receive that rain we're in a celebration of the coming of resurrection tide and what is that tide where do we see christ lapping up onto our shores where do you see it do you see it in each other Do you see it in your relationships? Do you see it in your families? Do you see it in your vocations and your workplace? Do you see it in your neighborhoods? Do you see it in the way that you think? In the way that you feel? In the way that you act? Do you see the reign of Christ coming in your mind, in your heart, in your hands? If you don't see that, if you don't see the coming of Christ's reign in all those ways, in all those places. Can you imagine it with me today? Will you imagine it with me today? This is really the exercise of faith. Faith is a synonym for imagination. Seeing with the eyes of faith what cannot be seen with the natural eye. Can you imagine the coming of Christ's reign into your heart, into your mind, into your body, into our hearts, into our collective mind, into our body? What would it mean, what would it be for a church to be overcome with the kingdom of God? What would it mean if the resurrected Christ were to manifest the fullness of his glory here in our little local congregation. What would it look like if the heart and the mind and the hands of God began to define us with such totality that all of the broken ways of thinking and feeling and doing shed to the side like old dead snakeskin? and a new, living, resurrection reality defined the wholeness of our community. What would that be? What sort of people would we be if we received all of the resurrection reality, all that has been given, all that was inaugurated in Jesus, all that is presently for us to live in, to live in an entirely different way, in an entirely new reality. Over the past nine years of our church's existence, we've seen God baptize close to 100 people. It's about 100 people, best as I can figure it, looking back through the social media posts. And we've seen Him restore... Dozens of other people back to the calling of their baptism. Right? God does both. He baptizes people into His kingdom for the first time, and He calls back those who were baptized long ago to live now according to that former previous baptism. Even those who were baptized as babies, they have God's sign and seal on them. And so often at some point in their life, you see God's hand calling them home, reminding them, calling them to be what they now are, to live according to that resurrection reality that he stamped on them as they went under the water and were brought out of it again. That is wonderful. We celebrate every individual life that gets overtaken by Easter's tide. That's what's happening in baptism, quite literally. An individual life being overtaken by Easter's tide. The reign of Christ and the kingdom of Christ lapping up onto an individual shore. That is baptism. But what might it look like for that tide to overtake a church Collectively, we know that God baptizes individuals. We've seen the glory of God's Easter tide come into the heart and mind of an individual person. Many of us have seen that firsthand. We've experienced it firsthand the liberation of God's love and joy and rest and freedom filling our hearts until they are near bursting. But does God ever baptize an entire community? Does he ever baptize an entire people? Does he ever breathe his life so fiercely in such a focused way onto a particular local congregation that that whole church, that whole community, that whole people begins to manifest the fullness of Christ's reality and be collectively transformed? Would we dare to hope for that? During this season of Easter tide, would we dare to imagine it, to dream it, to see it with eyes of faith, to wonder what that might be for our little local community? This past Thursday, many of us gathered right here in this very room. It was laid out quite differently than this, for a Seder feast. That is a retelling of the Last Supper of Jesus when he ate the Passover meal with his disciples. And he told his disciples that, in fact, he himself, his very body, his very blood, was the Passover meal. And over the course of that story on Thursday night, as we do each year, we told the story of ancient Israel's rescue, from slavery in Egypt. That's the purpose of the Passover feast. It's to remember the manner in which God rescued his ancient people, the people of Israel, the Jews, a newly born nation, from slavery in Egypt, called them out of that darkness. Our church, some of you may be interested to know, is named after that Passover event when the people of Israel painted their doors with the blood of a spotless lamb, and God rescued those people by way of that blood. His judgment passed over the homes of the painted doors. God, of course, is still saving people through the blood of a spotless lamb. But what happens next in the story, what we don't get to in the retelling of that Exodus story, is almost as remarkable... As that deliverance through blood. Because as the Israelite people make their exit from Egypt, they then soon find they are being pursued by Pharaoh's armies. And perhaps for some of you, that sounds quite familiar as you've experienced God's grace in your life, as you've exited from slavery, as you've broken free from chains and found new joy and rest, you often then find that it is as though those old captors, those things that held you in bondage, begin to chase you down as if they were leaving Egypt with you and coming with you into the new reality. And Israel finds themselves backed up against the Red Sea, hemmed in, with nowhere to turn. They're completely stuck. The Egyptian armies are bearing down on them. All the things that were holding them in captivity now threaten to simply slaughter them, to be eliminating to the whole nation of Israel. But God does not leave Israel to fend for herself. He tells the people, the Lord will fight for you, You have only to be silent. This remarkable promise in Exodus 14. And then he miraculously parts the sea. Some of you know the story. So that Israel may pass through the water. And when Pharaoh's armies charge into the sea in pursuit of the Israelites, they are swallowed up as the waters fall. And they are destroyed. God rescues his people not only out of the place where they were enslaved, but he rescues them too from those things and people that were enslaving them. He swallows up the Egyptian armies and delivers his people to a new reality. What is this moment for the people of Israel? And what's its significance for us? Well, the Apostle Paul actually tells us explicitly in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Did you hear it? Paul says that the deliverance of Israel in passing through the Red Sea was a baptism. You can see Paul begin to put things together in his mind here. He's looking back at the story of ancient Israel, and he is mapping the deliverance of God's people from that ancient story onto his present-day experience of deliverance, onto what he sees happening among the people of God in the New Testament reality. He sees that the ancient people of God were rescued from slavery by the blood of a spotless lamb, but that their captors and pursuers chased them into that new reality, and God baptized them, that is to say he washed them of those places and things and people that were holding them in chains, those things that tied them in knots, those things that kept them bound even as they left Egypt, the forces that enslaved his people, he releases them from being defined by those captors, releases them from being defined by those chains, And they now find themselves on the opposite shore of the Red Sea with new life, food and drink, living water flowing from Christ. God ushers his people into a whole new way of being. But what happens? The people of Israel squander it. They don't step into the fullness of that new reality. They keep pretending as though they still live in Egypt. They keep pretending as though chains are still on them. It's almost as though they are dragging fake chains onto their bodies because they are so familiar with being a slave that they don't know how to live in freedom. And so they squander the new reality that God has purchased for them, that he has given to them, what's more, they become distracted by all of the suffering and hardship that they face. They become so distracted by the suffering and hardship that they're unable to see God's present favor on them. Church, over the past several years, We have experienced some hardships, some of them collectively as a congregation, many of them individual in your different lives and stories, some family dynamics, relational dynamics. We have faced suffering. We've gone through hard things, and we've taken time to grieve those things. We haven't moved on glibly. We have been a church that pays attention to the hard and broken things as they are happening and doesn't pretend that they are not happening. It's almost as though we have spent the past few years underwater. But today, on this day of days, on this Easter Sunday, perhaps, maybe, all of those dark and sorrowful things are turning into a baptism for our community. Maybe we now stand on the opposite shore of the Red Sea. Maybe there's a new reality in front of us a new opportunity for a new way of being, new rest, new joy, new hope, new exuberance, new celebration, new power, new faith, new belief that we would call one another into and begin to experience together. We can know this for certain that we are no longer bound by the captors and those burdens that have befallen us in the past. We have been set free. We know that by faith. Paul writes that Israel was baptized into Moses. Moses, the representative of the law. Israel was baptized into Moses, a prophet of God's law. But Paul challenges the church, and he challenges the Corinthians, and he challenges all Christians... In a different way entirely, he says the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? See, Christian baptism is the fulfillment of what ancient Israel's baptism was pointing to. Israel was baptized into Moses. They were baptized into the law. They had a new way of being. But we are given a new life. They were given a new start under Moses. We are given a new start under Christ. We are no longer bound by the chains of our own brokenness. And also, we are no longer bound by slavery to a written code of law. Law does not define our community any more than slavery did. No, we are bound to the grace of God in Christ. We are bound to a God who is not holding our brokenness against us, a God who is not keeping account of our sin, a God who has welcomed us into the fullness of freedom and rest. How? By binding us to Christ. By connecting us to Christ, we have all of the freedom and love and favor on us that did Christ, God's only begotten son. This is the reality in which we now live. We are as free as Christ. What shall we say then? Paul asks. If we are as free as Christ, if we have come into a new reality in this way, such that our old burdens and bondage and baggage and brokenness no longer must define our lives, if all of the record has been erased, if God is not in the sin accounting business anymore, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying that in Christian baptism... We are bound to Jesus. We are inextricably bound to Jesus. Our new reality, our new life is in. Christ. It's bound up in Christ. That is to say it's already full. It's already complete. It's already been given. It's not for us to produce of our own merit by trying to follow some rule or code, trying to follow the Ten Commandments as though we could, as though that has ever worked for anyone ever. No. We have a new reality that has been connected into our very being. All that Christ is now defines us. His mind is our mind. His heart is our heart. His deeds are our deeds. Everything that is Christ is ours. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His Good Friday is our Good Friday. His Easter is our Easter. Easter. We sit here on Easter Sunday in the Easter of Christ, in the resurrection reality of Christ. This is ours, church. It's ours to live in. It's ours to step into. It's ours to know the fullness of. No longer be bound by the burdens and regrets of what you have done in your formal, former feudal ways of thinking and living. There is a new story, a new reality. Everything that Jesus is, is who we are. Everything that he does defines what we do. This is who we now are, church. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have known that death, church. We have lamented many sorrows. The question before us is, will we step into resurrection? Not so much because Christ is our example, though he is, but because Christ is our everything. He is who we are. To not live in his res- resurrection reality is to play, it's to pretend, it's to pretend that we are something that we are not any longer. It's to live a falsehood because we have been grafted into his very body. We have no identity apart from him any longer. We are one with him. As the author Richard Lovelace puts it, spiritual life flows out of union with Christ, not merely imitation of Christ. Can you imagine it? What if our church stepped into that resurrection reality? It's right there for us. What would it mean for us as a community? What if we let go of all of the chains that bind us, all of the sorrows that tie us up in knots, all the broken things? It does not matter. What is in your story? There is nothing in your story that is beyond the scope of the power of the new resurrection reality. There is nothing in your story that the kingdom of God is not lapping up onto and redefining and reshaping and calling you into a better hope and a better story about suffering and death don't win. God's resurrection. Wins, And his resurrection is an announcement to the whole world that this is true. So what is it for you? What is it for us that stops us, that prevents us from stepping into the fullness of the resurrection reality? From living in the fullness of what has been given to us in Christ, living in Christ's reign? Is it Fear? Maybe you're afraid that if you truly step into the way of Christ, the thinking of Christ, the heart of Christ, the deeds of Christ, if you truly begin to care for other people the way that Christ cared for other people, that that's just a bit too risky. Caring for other people, that's fraught with peril. We know that. It can blow up in our face. It can go sideways quickly. It can lead to hurt and sorrow. Many of us don't want that, and so we're gripped by fear. I can tell you that that is a big one for me. Self-sufficiency is so much cleaner than caring for people, depending on people, asking for help from people, living in community with each other, interweaving our lives together in such a way that we become one local expression of the body of Christ, not running when things get hard, Pressing in deeper into that reality, into that truth. We are one family, one faith, one baptism, one in Christ together. Or maybe it's that you've experienced hurt from churches or a church in the past. Maybe you're burned out because of false hype or false promises, false hopes that have been put before you. I know that pain, too. But the broken things in our story don't get the last word. Resurrection does. So we don't have to consume ourselves with what the outcomes of our deeds will be. We don't have to try to protect ourselves from certain outcomes that have hurt us before. Because we already know the end of the story. It's resurrection. So we can run, we can risk, we can dig in together, we can step into the fullness knowing that though we die, he will raise us from the dead. We know the one who raises the dead. So do not live in fear. Live in faith. I see a day before us when our church community is known not only for being willing to face hard things, To acknowledge broken things. I'm very thankful that we are a community that does not pretend that things are not hard. That does not glibly try to move on from broken or hard things. That looks those things right in the face. But I see a day when also we are known as a people caught in the Easter tide. We are known as a people so gripped by the love of God that we cannot help but pour ourselves out for those people around us who are hurting, who are suffering, who are broken, who are forgotten, who need a friend, who need someone to care for them, need someone to love them, that we would be known as a people who stretch our arms wide and embrace people into our community, broken people, people that will cause us problems, people that will be an inconvenience to our precious community, Community, people that will cause us to be stretched, that will need us to lay down our lives and set aside our idolatries and pour ourselves out for the sake of others in the same way that Christ did. Christ came into the fullness of what it is to love, and it cost him everything. Love always costs you everything, but we know the end of the story. We know the one who accomplishes resurrection This is where life becomes rich and meaningful. To empty yourself of everything that you're holding on to to protect yourself for the sake of love, for the sake of the life of God, to live in the very body of Christ. Will you see that day with me? Will you imagine that resurrection reality for our church community? What could that be for us to step in? Because we know a king who beat death. And he's called us brothers and sisters. Even closer than that, he's called us his very body. We are in Christ. Our wounds are his wounds. Our death is his death. So live without fear, church. His resurrection reigns. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us your power in the resurrection of Christ. You have shown us what it is to live fully alive, to pour ourselves out with abandon for the sake of your name and for the glory of your love. Lord, teach us by your Spirit. We are bound up in all kinds of fiction, still believing that you have not given all things, still believing that you have not fully rescued us, some of us dragging old chains back on top of ourselves. Lord, by your Spirit, loose this church, loose the churches of Chicago to empty ourselves for the good of this city, to pour ourselves out in the places that you have us, to love our families and to love each other and to love our neighbors as you have loved us. Teach us to live in the fullness of your life, we pray, without fear, in Christ's name. Amen.